June, I realized something the other day. Well, it's been actually a couple months now, but I realized something, and today it came back to the forefront of my my thought. Wait, wait, I wait. I have to share this did, with you. Did you start? Yeah, this wait, is me starting. We didn't do the clap. Oh, yeah, that's super important. <laughs> <laughs> So June, I noticed something about a month ago, and I've been thinking about. Uh, I thought about it a little bit then, and I was like, "Wow, this is so interesting and so awesome." But then it left my conscious until I ate dinner, which was about mm, twenty-five to thirty minutes ago. I got I got home kind of late, and I want to see if you've ever noticed this. So I noticed this at IKEA. Okay, it turns out when I was eating in IKEA. Their spoon radius and the bowl radius are a match made in heaven. And when you're going, you know, scoop, try to get all that soup out, you got, it's, it's, it, it fits like a glove. The, the arc it's, is the, the exact same. Um, it's the exact same arc. It's yeah, beautiful, yeah, yeah. June. It's beautiful, June. You know whose bowls and forks and spoons don't do that? <laughs> Mine. I had, <laughs> now granted, I was eating a bowl. I was eating in a bowl and I had a fork because I made myself chicken taco meat and I put some avocado, a little bit of sour cream, mix it up, call it a bowl, right? And it's this gooey, like I, I bought this taco sauce at the grocery store. I don't know if you've ever gotten the sauce. It's way better than the seasoning. This stuff's electric. It's like $2 a pouch, but it's totally worth it. And I got the sauce. I got the avocado cream and the little bit of sour cream all there. And I can't scrape it. I want to I have every last drop of that, that concoction. And I couldn't scrape it. And then the bowl is not amenable to licking. I can't wait for these bowls to be gone. And me to have my new bowls, which I hope are lickable. I think. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, we got, new, we got new plates and bowls and stuff. And they're all at Rachel's parents' house. And we're going to deploy them at the new place. Ah, nice, nice. It's like a, was it like an engagement present or of some kind? Or I mean, Rachel and myself love each other very much, and we just get ourselves presents all the time. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, they weren't direct. We got them from Crate and Barrel, and we don't have any kind of like Crate and Barrel cash. But you know, unless your spoon looks like some crazy medieval Eastern weapon. You know what I'm talking about? That's shaped like a, has a huge wide arc and then it comes down. Like, how could the spoon, like, well, your bowl is absolutely going to have a wider arc than your spoon, right? So how could you have, because now I'm just like trying to picture it. Like, how could your spoon be the same perfect arc as the bowl? You're always going to have. It matters what kind of bowl you got, man. I think what, I think what's ideal though what you're trying to do, if you were designing a bowl and a spoon in as part of the same set, right? You'd want to make sure you maximize the amount of surface contact between the edge of the spoon and the surface of the bowl, right? So like when you scrape a spoon across a bowl, like the thing I hate the most is when you're you're having soup and you're using some spoon that ends almost in a tip. Not quite a tip, but you know, mm. like it's like a yeah, fine I know, I know ending. About here. Then you're just kind of scrape, 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 right? Like, and you do it, you scrape like a hundred times, and you're still missing like 
fifty percent of the suit still on the bolt. You know what I mean? Like because the contact is so small. Like you want. I, I feel like the the, the purpose it's like, is um, to what is it? The osmosis, or I don't know, the uh, capillary action, or something. That's all it's keeping it on the spoon. It's not actually because right. <laughs> you're scooping it at that point. Yeah, I know, it's right? Like you're, you're just <laughs> pushing it to the side. Yeah, exactly. You need something like a combination of those baking spoons, where you have the uh, the rubberized kind of thing. Oh that, yeah, uh-huh. that lets you kind of just lets you take a wide sweep now that's the maximum like that i think those are the best at scraping right because you get this huge (laughs) contact such a large amount of contact between the spoon and the bowl like i wish there were regular spoons that had a combination of both of those you obviously don't want like a spoon that's made of silicon otherwise you feel like you're a baby yeah um, because that's what I use to feed my baby. But so next time, <laughs> next time I'm at a crayon barrel, I might do a trade study with our plates and our and our bowls and see if, uh, like you know, once I get them in the house and I discover maybe, for instance, we don't have a match made in heaven, maybe there's going to be a gap. If there's a gap, maybe I'll go ahead and I'll try to uh, to match utensils with these. Well, you know, I'm I'm also like. I realize a lot of people might not know what the heck I was just talking about with the scrape, 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 scrape thing with the spoon, because <laughs> I, f- I realize a lot of people just leave the, like the last bit of soup on the bowl. And it's like, they just acknowledge like that. It's, there's no way to get it right. Like it's just gonna, they're just gonna like mm. always lose some small percentage of the soup. Whereas in, it, whereas like where I come from, right? <laughs> How I was grown, <laughs> raised, <laughs> you leave no drop, you know, left undrunk, right? You drink every every drop. So whether that's using a spoon to like scrape it up, or just pick up the bowl, you know, with your hands and just just you know finish it off. But a lot of people don't do that, and like. You know, I so I realized, yeah, a lot of people might not know what I'm talking about when you're like just constantly trying to scrape with a spoon the like the very last bits of like, you know, some soup or some, you know. I don't know, uh, man. We Americans are very particularly. Fat. We're very fat, dude. We just we want every last drop. We want every last drop, man. All right, June. So I also have another another piece of ranting follow up. This has been on our list for a bit, but I think it's time for me to get it out because I had another experience that made it come to the forefront. So, WWDC was announced. A lot of the live podcasts have started to come out with their tickets. And when I went to go and get the Accidental Tech Podcast podcast <laughs> ticket, <laughs> live podcast ticket, um, I'm clicking on the seats of which I needed to get six. Click, 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 click. Submit. Gone. Click, 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 click. Submit. Gone. You know, I was there at the millisecond of the turn. You were with me, actually, when I bought these tickets, and you heard the frustration, because I'm on my, t- my iPhone screen trying to tap away at these little seats, tiny-ass touch targets, trying to get six in a row, and every time I, tr- I selected a couple in, a, in together in a group and hit submit, those tickets were gone. And, my God, after, like, the third time, I just went to the very back of the arena. I said, no one's coming back here yet. <laughs> I got tickets. I was like, fuck it. I just want to be there. And uh, it's super frustrating. This that experience reminds me vividly of I try to buy Billy Joel tickets. I spent 15 minutes at work trying to buy these tickets. Okay. I can't get this time back. So, so you're saying basically <laughs> by the time you selected your six seats and then you say, okay, it will t- it tells you that, oh, too bad. Those seats are gone. Someone, 
someone else has already selected those tickets. It doesn't, and every time you hit the buy tickets button, it's like you're watching Infinity War, and they then just more tickets fade away. <laughs> so it's not it's not a real time update. You don't see like no, as you're clicking. No, you don't clicking. see it. Okay, oh, man, it's so frustrating. You can't. That's, so you're just chasing this. You're just chasing this unknown. So so the seats don't update. It's static. Well, as other people do, are booking it, they do, but they're not. It's not fast enough. Oh, uh, okay. Especially for at, at like like everyone you know, at twelve o'clock going right, in and right, trying to do right. it. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. That's uh, so ATP barely didn't get tickets. Billy Joel, right? First of all, I have to backtrack. They had this idea of a line. You can't make a line online. I know we were talking about this. It's absolutely absurd to me that if I had loaded up a web page an hour beforehand, I could have like quote unquote gotten in line and then just left the tab open and then have my alarm set for you know nine fifty nine and and then I could do it. That's insane to me. Don't no lines. That's not how this is gonna work. I don't know. You have to show up at that time. See I still feel like that might be a good idea. I mean to, because doesn't that relieve the entire complaint complaint you just had? Like, if you were in line and now it's your turn, you can book your six tickets without worrying about someone else booking it, right? No, it lacks the sacrifice, June. So, like, I loved back in the day, you know, you had to go to the ticket kiosk. You had to line up, spend hours in line, dedicate your time and and your attention to this task, right? The only way they could do this online line concept is if you had to actively engage the whole time, like doing a mechanical Turk or something. Okay, that's the only way this line would be remotely acceptable, and and you couldn't like make a bot out of it. You'd have to, <laughs> you'd I have think, to be physically doing labor. That's the only way a uh, line is acceptable. I think there's two. Okay, there's two th- separate things we're talking about here. One. Sort of two purposes, right? One in the sense of a line to eliminate the problem of race conditions of everybody trying to buy the same seats at the same time, right? That's sort of purpose one for a line. And I get that. I get, to me, it sounds like the line does alleviate that issue. Now, I now the second, the issue you have with then is if you're going to have a line, then make it so that you require work to stay in the line. I, I totally get that, other than just keeping a browser open. So maybe they make you, like, I don't know, play some game the whole time, and you have to, if you go inactive for five Watch seconds, <laughs> yeah, you boot it out of the line, yeah. <laughs> so, the, the, here's the problem, June. But but now, the, like, the, the first thing, though, I think it does get resolved by a line, so I think a line's a good solution. Maybe it's, you, maybe your complaint is the implementation of the line. Yeah, because basically all the line does is it's some, like, rate limiter of getting you into the actual ticket-buying experience, which is a toxic hell stew of having a whole stadium. This time, it's all of Oriole Park and Canon Yards. All of Canon Yards, tickets available. And they dump you into this with, like, thousands of other people in this interactive, slow-loading UI, and you're click, 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 clicking to try to get your tickets for you and your buddies so you can all sit together, and boom, gone. And like I said, I'm, I'm fishing around for tickets for 15 minutes. That's what I'm saying, like, because, because you don't have a chasing line. Chasing tickets. Right. But if... Well, then that, that, that one even had a line. But once, like, they, like, released way too many people into a UI that couldn't possibly update fast enough, I don't get it. Wait, it I'm confused. Be, like, I'm confused. So, what do you mean by releasing too many people into a UI that couldn't update fast it's enough? It's not like a, uh, what do you call it? 
a blocking thing, dude. It's not like I got the semaphore and I'm like, all right, now I get to use this, oh, <laughs> this utility. And I can- See, that's exactly no. what I thought the point of the line would be is is now no, you have the, the semaphore like, and so you you have 15 like seconds rate limiting. To, uh it's just rate limiting okay it's like rate limiting to getting you into the arena <laughs> like so you're like, still competing against other people it's just still too many people oh yeah it sucks dude it's so bad I you see. know i love the idea of being able to pick your seat but when you're at launch time there's no time for picking your seat this is not how that's going to work. So the rate limiting is for from from my own understanding, right? It's it's not like mm. it's it's trying to help in that it's trying to go from maybe a hundred thousand people all in the same time trying to book tickets down to maybe I don't know, I'm just making up some numbers here. Maybe down to two hundred people all trying to book tickets at the same time. Whereas I was thinking one person at the same time, but I guess that's impractical because then if you're at the end of the line, you you might wait an hour or two just to before it's your turn, right, to book it. Yeah, um, that, that, that wouldn't work either. But the thing yeah. is, so June, you know what it's like? It's like going to a bar that's like, oh, we can only allow 200 people in at a time. And they let a couple people in every time they let a few people out. But the problem is that bar is only big enough for 30 you know <laughs> so it's like oh you can't even get to the bar you can't even move once you get in there well, it's like everybody trying to shove through this door at the same time basically <laughs> oh it's so bad it's so so bad i don't know i guess as the technology got better they're like oh you can choose the exact seat and that's a great idea when there's not bazillion people trying to get tickets unfortunately if that's how this is going to work where everyone's trying to get tickets at the same time you can't be try to hand select where you want to sit the best you could do is give a preferred section an area in a row like the only thing i could imagine is some kind of preference system that you could declare your preferences beforehand and then when you hit go it does its best to accommodate or just like look it's make it like um, google docs you know as soon as someone clicks on a seat that seat becomes sort of you know, reserved. It's not purchased yet, but now you can't click on it, but you can see that someone has just clicked on it. That's like in, a, in processing. Yeah. It's it's a mess, dude. That's all I have to say about it. It was a total mess. And I just, it, it depressed the heck out of me. I wasn't able to get any Billy Joel tickets. And of course, now there's a gazillion of them being scalped for quadruple the price and that ain't, that ain't gonna happen. They're already expensive. Yeah. Well, do you think a line is also supposed to try and reduce bots buying up tickets? I mean, that's that's a whole, that Man, used to be a whole big problem too, right? Not used to be. It still is. Still is. Bots. Bots have ruined ticket buying online. If it were up to me, June, candidly, if it were up to me, the first day of ticket sales would be exclusively in person. No bots. Wait. What do you mean? Like bring go back to a the lines? Somewhere? Go to the window. Yeah. Seriously. If it were up to me, hmm. I would have it like that, where super fans could dedicate their time, their very valuable time, to go and do that. Hmm. That's how it used to be. And I think that was good. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting. And you know what, dude? If you do that, gig economy, baby. Gig so, economy. Yeah. You, could, you got guys just sitting in line for you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Although, who's to say they wouldn't just buy the tickets for themselves at that point? Like, you know what, actually, I'm going to buy these for myself and sell them back to you. That's right. Then you're, just, then, it's, <laughs> then you're just running back to the same same problem, right? Now you got these people all in line <laughs> to buy the tickets and then reselling it <laughs> much higher. If they're, just, they're just human bots now. <laughs> I will buy 100 tickets. 
Some people I know do analytics. It's crazy. I know someone who does analytics on ticket resale and is like a professional scalper. It's such a dirty business. I hate. I I, I don't know the person well, and I don't like them that much for it. <laughs> yeah, I guess are the bots still getting through all this? Just kind of capture things that are. I mean, I'm just thinking like. Yeah. Sometimes I can't even get those. You know, if it's if it's able to fool humans. So there's some there's so, there was a really good article I read once. I'll see if I can find it. That it actually like found collusion with the bots. So basically, sometimes these tickets would go on sale such that only bots could really ever get them. And it was actually so that the resellers and Ticketmaster were in cahoots, because obviously Ticketmaster gets money for reselling tickets too, if you sell them on Ticketmaster. And yeah, it's just, they basically are triple dipping on getting money. Hmm. And then there's also, apparently some of the scalped, quote-unquote scalped tickets are actually the artists selling tickets at where they think the actual going rate is, but they don't want... They basically only sell like a certain amount of tickets at what is a socially acceptable rate. Mm, okay. Does that make sense? I think so. Because obviously it's like it's like supply demand. Like like Taylor Swift, for instance. I'm not saying she does this, but let's say for instance, Taylor Swift probably could sell her tickets for twice as much, maybe right. as she did. Right. People will still pay it for the nice seats. Right. But it would look like a huge money grab if she actually charged that exactly. much. Exactly. So yeah. if you put it over the the guise of a scalper, even though it was actually just her withholding tickets yeah. it's more uh appetizing apparently yeah i think i heard somewhere on a podcast something they were talking about this and i think they were interviewing kid rock i think and um kid rock got so sick of this stuff that he ended up reserving um like like several rows of the front most seats and mm-hmm. made sure that you couldn't buy them and then he purposely would just hand them out for free after the sales and things like that just so, you know, he knew, like, some of his best fans could never afford some of the tickets, right? Just because of the crazy upcharges. And he personally doesn't want to increase the prices. So he was like, the only way I can think of doing this is I'm just going to have to hand them out for free. Hand them out to people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tricky problem. I don't know if that's if this is what you were saying earlier, but, you know, you could always have, like, like almost like you send some kind of requests like a purchase request now you don't pick seats i think part of this problem is picking the seats but if all you just said was i want this area and i want six tickets submit right buy and that's how you that's how it used to be right and then you don't get a you don't get the exact choice the system is going to figure out which six seats to give you preferably right next to each other but you know Mm. what then 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 the decision of which seats to choose is all on the server side that can handle that organization aspect of it. Yeah, that's how it used to be for the longest time. Yeah, then you're just avoiding collisions. You can still have collisions, but it drops significantly, I think. I don't know why. See, this is what happens when you have too many friends, Alec. If you just need to buy one ticket, (laughs) one seat, no problem. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing when you try to buy tickets for people. I'm like (laughs) ticket buyer in chief. It's like it's like when I was in high school and I had like we'd always like go to the movies together, but there'd be like ten of us, and it was always the worst. You're trying to go to, you know, a movie that just came out, Star Wars, whatever, with oh, ten yeah. people, ten friends, and you want them next to each other, impossible, man. Well, na- well, now it's now you get to choose your seat at the at the ticket uh, yeah. for for movies. Actually, we're going to see Endgame on Monday night, the first Monday it's out, and. <laughs> No one apparently is trying to go Monday night at 7 o'clock at the Columbia IMAX. <laughs> uh, we were able to get... the Only two tickets were bought beforehand. We were able to get like a whole row, essentially, to ourselves. 
like 10 people going like you're describing yeah <laughs> it's yeah. gonna be the nice like recliners i think or actually probably not because imax but anyways it'll still be nice did you ever wait in line for like midnight showings or anything like that for any movies i yeah i've seen midnight showings of movies actually i saw the hangover 2 at midnight is that hysterical it wasn't even like we were anxiously awaiting but me and my parents were like we want to see that and we're like oh it comes out tonight all right let's just go <laughs> ah nice yeah, it was like before school, I think, I guess, one day, and we just said, fuck it. <laughs> I think the first one I've ever done that was for The Dark Knight, and like, yeah, we were waiting. I think we got in line at like 8 p.m. We knew that the lines were going to be crazy, and even at 8 at eight o'clock, like, the lines were still already forming, you know, but we got a pretty good mm-hmm. spot, and the stupid thing is that I fell asleep about 30 minutes in. Oh! Yeah. No. I <laughs> <laughs> so I, i've been doing i've done a decent amount of midnight releases but the fun fact is and i think this is an improvement for the best usually this is something that i feel like is against you know i feel like sometimes i would think this is against the what it's supposed to be the pure expression of a midnight showing but now they're starting to make the first showings like seven o'clock on a thursday that's great <laughs> you know you can go you can still go to work the next day <laughs> i think it's an improvement so I've seen like the last few Star Wars in that kind of scenario where you watch the first showing at, um, at on that Thursday or whatever. Gotcha. Hmm. Yeah. I, what else did I see at midnight? I think I saw uh, Harry Potter. Midnight. Uh, nice. Like if that was midnight, it was the first showing kind of thing. Everyone's in their scarves, all lined up and in dress. I wa- yeah. I watched. What was it the first episode? No, I guess it was the last one. Yeah, I'm watching like the last episode of uh, Harry Potter. And uh, the people around me were all like sobbing because <laughs> Snape is there, like overlooking Hogwarts or whatever. <laughs> They're just like, "Oh no, I know what's gonna happen next." <laughs> that was with some really uh, hardcore fans, I guess. <laughs> was there were there anybody like dressed up? Oh yeah, everyone was dressed up. I, uh, I even okay. I had a scarf. Yeah, really? I actually have a scarf. Uh, yeah, funny. I'm not even like scarf? a. I'm not even a. Yeah, it is a Gryffindor scarf. I'm not even like a super fan or anything, but I happen to have a scarf because someone I knew went to Harry Potter World and they got it for me, which was very nice. Nice. We uh, speaking of Harry Potter, we quick little side thing. One of the houses we were looking at, it was in this little like townhouse development community. All of a sudden, we started realizing every road. It's like a. It's a. Harry Potter themed community. Every road is named oh, wow. has some Harry Potter theme. Yeah, like like there's a Quidditch lane. There's a um, oh my goodness, it's it's all Golden Snitch. Know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, alchemy like you know your road or whatever is. It, yeah, it's it was pretty funny. Um, we didn't realize it until we were looking at the map and you can see all the road names. We're like, oh my god, this is all Harry Potter. Diagon Alley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. I didn't really need to do a lot of midnight showings, honestly, because in high school, I worked for a movie theater. Uh, It was my first job. So one of the perks is if you have a late shift, you're always just watching new releases anyways for free. So you can basically, especially when you're you're not working concessions and you're doing like the, um, the ushering kind of job role. So you're sort of, you know, cleaning up, you're kind of checking in on the theaters. You're just kind of sweeping. A lot of times people are just like, end up standing in the entrance of the theater, right? And they're just kind of watching the movie there. Those are the best. Mm-hmm. Those are the best. 
you just have to end up like piecing together a two hour long movie over like five different you know times because <laughs> because you never you know you can't stay there for two hours you know you, you have a job to do so you kind of have to like watch mm-hmm. watch 15 minutes of it okay leave go finish your job come back later get another like half an hour worth of it <laughs> so you slowly piece together the plot <laughs> i think i can get really used to i always thought like oh It'd be kind of cool to be the security at the arena when you go and watch a concert at the arena. Because then you get to experience the whole show, and all you have to do is make sure you know people get to their seats, particularly in the upper area where no one's actually going like, to get to the stage. You're kind of just like there to help usher people around. It's like, what a great gig. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of something similar for like just like games, you know, sports games, and like the people mm-hmm. who just all they're doing is sh- directing you to your seat. I'm like, yeah, like. Do they get paid to do that? And they get free, you know, free to watch sports? Like, what? The ushers, I do believe they get paid. I actually know someone who does. I, it's it's not much, but I, some of it, maybe some of them are volunteers. I don't know. That's a good question, June, because it might just be, like, comically low. Sure. Like, maybe even, like, tipping culture kind of money stuff. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I'm just thinking, like, look, instead of getting season tickets, just go work as an usher. <laughs> <laughs> at the stadium. I know someone who yeah. did that that loves the games. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know if he got paid or not. All right, Junior. So I think we should go to the main topic, even though we've gotten some, some very interesting analyzing in. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think it was really from a uh, podcast I was listening to that really bothered me, mainly because, so they were talking about plan obsolescence. Most people, I think, would just think of technology right? Like if you think of plant obsolescence, what do you think of? You're going to sort of naturally think of technology, right? And there have been companies in the past who have purposely actually done plant obsolescence. I think one of the first examples of this was the light bulb. Light bulbs originally lasted forever. Like you, you could go your entire life with one or two light bulbs, right? Nowadays they're like, oh, you need a you need to replace these every so and then you know, but that's not how it used to be. But light bulb companies were like, well, we're going to run out of business. No one's going to want to buy a light bulb. So that was mm-hmm. that was one of the first examples of plant obsolescence. But what they were saying is they were so they were using the idea that nowadays it's illegal, right, to have plant obsolescence in sort of it like is? outright ways. Yeah, for example, uh, Apple's getting in all the lawsuits, right, for the whole battery gate thing, right? So, I thought that was just a class action lawsuit, like people just complaining. Well, no, the I think I think there was an actual lawsuit. For, well, I'm not a lawyer, and maybe maybe I'm sort of just not really correct here, but I d- I think there is a lawsuit for. I don't think they call it exactly plant obsolescence, but it's basically saying, look, you're purposely making your product worse so that people will end up buying more of your product, right? Um, This is just manipulating consumers, right? So I'm not surprised that you can bring a lawsuit for this to people. But the the general idea is that people don't like this. And but companies, instead of doing planned obsolescence, right, they'll do what's called a psychological obsolescence. And essentially, the idea is they, and they keep, so this particular podcast was using the iPhone as an example, right? And so they would say, well, you know what? 
iPhones may have had, you know, arguably plan obsolescence before, slow your phone down or whatever. But they said, but even worse than that is the psychological obsolescence, which is this idea that they make things go out of style, right? They'll purposely design something so that they knowingly, knowing that, you know, in a year later, they will already have the next design, when they release this year's model, they already have next year's model in mind, and they will purposely design this year's model to be to be such that they know that people who buy this year's model that's about to be released will actually want next year's model as well. They, they purposely don't make the best, right? And they kind of design things to be go out of fashion. iPhone's just one example, right? But the thing that I just, I guess, really bothered me was that they were kind of picking on the iPhone, but... The funny thing is they keep using, like, they kept using the word fashion over and over, like things go out of fashion, but they don't talk about clothing at all, the clothing industry, which is very much how it's the entire industry. That's the entire strategy is psychological obsolescence, if you think about it, right? It's things go out of style. I mean, the only reason why people buy more and more clothes is because, well, my clothes from last year are out of style. I need to buy new ones, right? Like, how can... To me, like, at least the iPhone is getting technological improvements, right? Whether it's speed or a new functionality or whatever. At least there's that. Like, clothing, it's just, <laughs> you're, you're kind of, you're, we're at kind of plateaued in terms of clothing technology <laughs> here, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Peak wardrobe. Right. Well, <laughs> there's no Wi Fi. Well, maybe some shirts are Wi Fi connected. I don't know. But <laughs> these arguments are totally fascinating to me. Okay, let's take a few steps back. First of all, a lot of people complain that Apple doesn't change the design of the iPhone often enough, right? It's like, you sold the iPhone 6 design for eight itera- or for four iterations of a phone. 6, 6S, 7, and 8. They all looked identical, right? And everyone's complaining. Oh, now granted, the last year there was the iPhone 10, But, like, those, those models literally looked, to the untrained eye, identical, <laughs> right? And... People complain about that. Then they complain, oh, that they were they were consciously making it such that they could sell more phones. Well, unless everybody is doing just that, you, that's not the way you compete, right? You can't compete by making a lesser product. You make the best product you can at the time, and then as technology improves, it enables you to make new technology or new products, or new uh, as you make new manufacturing techniques. Also, I'd argue one of the best designed iPhones ever was iPhone four. I love that design still. I think it's iconic. And even though, you know, it wasn't the thinnest phone ever. Actually, you know what? I think iPhone 4 was great, but iPhone 5 and 5S were uh, an even better improvement with the chamfer edge. Yeah, I think I'll go to iPhone 5. Yeah, and the and the bigger screen. That was the that was their main that was one of their biggest jumps in screen size. Yeah. Right. I'm just saying from like a design perspective, I love yeah. iPhone 5. And actually sure. I iPad Pro the most recent iPad Pro comes back with the flat edges again, and that's really in vogue. And now everyone's like, "Oh, that'd be great to come back to the iPhone." Well, that's a great edges. example. That's a great example. Like, right? Yeah, of, you uh, know, the straight edges. Of it. Right. It's a fashion. It's a style aspect of it. And the thing is, like, sure, companies can can sort of make things go in and out of fashion, but a lot of times, I think, I think it's a little more nuanced than that. Like, does a company? How much does a one single company control the style versus? A company like Apple may have enough 
leverage and oomph to influence the style of smartphones in the entire smartphone industry, where, you know, you then see other manufacturers trying to copy the style. But that's all, that's just catering to, I think, our human psyche of like wanting something new and different, right? That's the whole point of things going out of style and then coming and the other things coming into style. But I don't see how that's really, I, I guess, unless you can't, you can't say that's bad and completely ignore clothing. You know what I mean? I guess that's what bothers me. Like, <laughs> fine. I guess sure. that like, maybe you can argue that like, sure, a company, if a company only made a new iPhone model and the only difference was the way it looked, right? Was its physical packaging, like the exterior shell, right? Then fine, I can see someone say like, oh, that's just Apple trying to sell phones now and they kind of changed the style, right? It's just fashion. Mm -hmm. Fine, like consumerism is consumerism, right? And arguably that's silly. You have a perfectly functional phone now. It's no less worse. It's just just as fast, blah, blah, blah. It just looks different. Keep your current phone, right? Stop buying all these new phones and your phone just goes to some landfill, right? So I get that, right? But then at the same time, I think what just bothers me is people can be a little hypocritical and, and then the, they're sort of just buying shoes left and right because certain shoes are now out of fashion. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know. I feel like, uh, yeah. Does that make sense? Well, we're kind of Oh, totally. I mean, it also, it doesn't help that we both are enjoy technology and we both think it's, we see the merits of the next generation phone and all that. Right. I was explaining to a coworker yesterday and this kind of blew his mind. I thought it was really quite entertaining. I said, hey, he was like, I can't believe they come out with a new iPhone every year. And I said, it's not for you. I was like, they don't make a new phone so that you go and buy it every single year. There are people who do that, including myself. But that's not why they make a new phone every year. They make a new phone every year so that they have the mo- like as competitive of a product as they can every year because there's reasonable changes they can make year over year so that when someone else's phone that is broken or old or they decide it's time to upgrade can get something nice and new. Like It's not going to just cater to one person's upgrade cycle. There's a million, right. billions of people right. who are trying to upgrade. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. And, and even from an Apple's perspective of remaining competitive, right, kind of to what you were saying earlier, I mean, imagine if Apple skipped a year and didn't release a phone. They would be so mm-hmm. ridiculed by me, the media, right? The same media that's saying, <laughs> hey, hey, why are you releasing a new phone? They would the, meet the same media would come around and say, oh my goodness, Apple lost, you know, Apple can't even create a new phone again. And now look at all these shiny new phones from Samsung, from whatever, right? Like imagine if Apple didn't come out. With, I mean, I'm using Apple as an example, but imagine if any of the big names just didn't come out with a new oh, phone yeah. for a year. Like, it's just the way it is now for these technology companies and technology in general, I think just has a history of, of fast improvements, right? STEM. Like, I think it just really is comes from like Moore's law sort of, right. This sort of inherent idea that we've had ever since the sixties, seventies, eighties, you know, nineties when technology has really just skyrocketed with the advent of computers and things like that. And people are sort of expected these huge jumps in like technological improvements and companies I feel like still have to do this, especially in a competitive market like a smartphone. But I think it's just interesting because like from a social aspect of it, right? Like if you were, I wonder what a sociologist would think about this or, you know, like a, and a psychologist in the, in the sense that like, why do people, why is clothing sort of more accepted as a psychological obsolescence, right? When people don't feel manipulated, 
right? When they talk about clothing, but why does technology、mm-hmm. give the sense of you know you're being manipulated, right? Now technology well, is just, a much younger, new, right? It's a younger、yeah. form. Like it's almost like the entire psyche of of our society has grown accustomed to clothing coming going in and out of fashion of style, whereas technology. Is it just that? Is it just that it's so new that it's not a thing? I think I mean, so. It's also because I hate that I'm about to say this, but the media kind of drives me nuts these days. <laughs> I don't care mainstream media, no no stream media, whatever the heck you want to call it. Just the media <laughs> in general and the endless news cycle. They always feel like they have to report something, even if there's no news. They just they have to have news, you know? Yeah. Well, right. <laughs> There has to be something to talk about. Right. And. I think a lot of these controversies are just created to have something to talk about on TV. It's just it is what it is. I guess the biggest thing I would say is plant obsolescence is interesting. Like if you go back to the light bulb example, great example. Similarly, refrigerators and stuff like that. Back in the day, they lasted a lot longer, and the reason why was they didn't they they didn't think it through. <laughs> they were like, oh, let's make the best、mm-hmm. whatever we can, and then. Over time, yeah, naturally these things will eventually wear down, but they last a lot longer because they built them, you know, as well as they could, and then they realize, oh crap, we we can't possibly survive doing that. Same thing in furniture, June. Furniture, you could buy furniture that lasted forever almost, and now you you don't get that same quality of furniture. I guess you can you could still buy like super hard, you know, solid wood chairs. That are in a, a pretty neutral style. That never particularly out of style, but never maybe particularly in style. They never they don't look chic, but they'll never look out of style. They'll always chair. But I mean, that's a that's a also also a classic example. You go into those stores and、yeah. you see all these throw pillows and and soup du jour of the day or whatever yeah, yeah. of that of that pillow. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm kind of curious though. Now if you if we just talk about plant obsolescence again, right? Going back to plant obsolescence versus psychological obsolescence, like. Do you think if you were to start a company right now and you wanted to make furniture, and you are just going to try and make the best furniture possible, do you think that's even? Can you even have a business model that way? Do you think it's even possible in today's society? Just in in the sense that, how do you balance a company that makes long-lasting, durable products versus trying to sustain the business? Right to have. Recurring revenue, and, and in fact, like the way you know our economy works, is that like it's not just sustained revenue; it's it's increasing revenue year over year, right? Like, how do you possibly、mm-hmm. do that if you know your the things you sell don't break, and they <laughs> like I feel like I think furniture is a bad example,、yeah. just because you know you have dogs and you, it's hard because of the、oh. materials we make furniture out of and all. It's just not really that realistic,、sure. and Shoes, things do wear down over time. Sure, yeah. I, I'm not saying. So I, I, I'll answer your question. I just think before before we get all the comments saying how we're talking about、uh, furniture and how that's a fashion thing and it has right like that will wear down and stuff. Yeah, like my point is like I think psychological obsolescence is a company's answer to how to stay in business, how to stay alive. Is is like yeah, if we make products too good and and people don't buy them anymore. 
how am I, you know, am I going to prevent myself from going out of business, right? You can sell them at a premium because you can advertise it as like, and people may know it as a very durable, good lasting product. But then at the end of the day, like, fine, you've, you've, you've had a great first two years of high revenue and high profit margins, but then now nobody's buying this anymore because they still, they all still have it. They all still use it. So I feel like, yeah, how do you, it's almost like impossible to avoid that that psychological obsolescence. I mean, some markets are interesting. I th- said this on a previous episode, but speakers, sound is sound. If you make something that sounds mm. good, it will always sound good. Mm. <laughs> and and speakers, traditionally, unless you blow them out, actually, they, they have a very long shelf life. And I think the answer is that people just eventually get tired of things they already have, even if there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. Uh, or maybe they don't survive moves you know, oh, you're moving, it's time to get something new. Like, for instance, with us, the sofa we have, like, we have a love seat, rather, it's not a sofa. It's wearing down a little bit, but it's plenty comfy. But we're gonna, we're gonna get a new sofa when we move, because we, we wanted to get a sectional anyways, or, like, a bigger, a bigger sofa. And the sofa is interesting, because I don't physically have room for another sofa, love seat, whatever you want to call it. Like, I couldn't, I don't know where I would put it. So I have to get rid of it, right? Hmm. And furniture is an interesting one because people are always looking for furniture, but also aren't. So you might find one some, somebody to pass it on to, but then they probably replacing something too. And eventually, you just have this one sofa that's going to go away because someone else has bought one they prefer, and no one else snatches that one up and they just throw it away, right? Eventually, sofas trickle out. And I guess that's just okay, even though like there's nothing necessarily wrong with that sofa or like a chair for instance one of the chairs we have there's nothing wrong with that chair but they're all mismatching chairs and we're like we're gonna get matching chairs so we bought new chairs uh (laughs) and i broke one of them (laughs) by leaning yeah but like let's say let's say the chair didn't break or all right even even assume like now you have new chairs how much longer do you think you'd own the chairs let's say you buy the best chairs ever right now that you think you guys both love it i'll be honest with you june i like these chairs a lot the only way I think we lose these chairs is if we end up getting a table that needs more than four chairs, right? And suddenly we're like, oh, unless we can buy these exact chairs again, and we're, we're staying them ourselves. We bought unfinished chairs. So we're, so we're doing the whole staining ourselves this weekend. Hmm. We're going to be like, oh, crap, we can't exactly match the stain. They've, they've wear down over time. Maybe we, we refinish them. Maybe we get the same Wayfair unfinished chair <laughs> in 20, 30 and <laughs> increase our chair size for a bigger new table. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's realistically going to happen. So the table, we actually are, we like our, our kitchen table. It's solid wood. We are refinishing it. We're also taking that down. We're going to refinish it as well. But the reason that's, that table will eventually go, and maybe we'll give it to somebody that will use it because it's a nice chair or a nice table. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it's a four-person table. Maybe you could fit six if you're cram them in. But eventually, we're going to want maybe a bigger table that maybe has a leaf, you know, some kind of expandability capabilities. And at the time, we'll, we'll update and change our our table most likely by new and yeah i think it's just one of those things like as you grow out of things you you end up getting new stuff too so i think there's a few markets right you have the the upgrader market where you buy something and then you maybe upgrade eventually and then you have just things that hopefully they can infuse some kind of style i don't know it's interesting june like that like let me give you a great example actually i want to buy all clad super nice pots and pans. Mm -hmm. And the reason behind it is I'm like, these things are going to be great for the rest of my life, right? Cooking is kind of static (laughs) in that regard. 
Like once you have like a gas flame, like I think we're going to have that for a while. And I want to get the best dang pots and pans I possibly can because I'm going to use these things for literally the rest of my life, most likely. Unless something crazy happens in the cooking technology, I want to be using things for the rest of my life. If I buy the best ones I can now, there's nothing that can go wrong with them, really. <laughs> and that's kind of why I'm like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna invest. I'm going to spend the money up front. Like, maybe it's 700 bucks, but these are going to be the best things ever. And over my lifetime, it's going to be worth it. How do they stay in business? I don't know. Well, you know, actually, <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because I was just looking at all clad pans, sort of just kind of like what, because they, they were showing up in my ads and I have all clad pans right now, but when I bought them, was it two years ago or so? You know, they, they were, what is it? They were sort of three ply, right? It's like of aluminum and something else, right? Now they have five, five layers, of metal, <laughs> right? So they're, they are quote unquote innovating, right? So that you're more you're razors, gonna, right? Yeah. <laughs> Better heat distribution, you know, faster heat distribution, whatever, right? So I'm like, a pan's a pan, really? Like, you know, if my pan can, you know, get evenly distributed a second faster, like, am I really, you know, is that really that big of a deal? I don't know, right? Is it even noticeable, right? That's the other thing, too. So, I think, yeah, I think, like, yeah, it's tricky. Like, a company like that, they have to make it at least look like they're innovating, right? Like, there is a better product available now. Um, But you're right, like, they don't really get to take advantage of the psychological obsolescence aspect of it, because, a pan's a pan. It's not, you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe there are styles, but I don't know. I'm just thinking like a f- regular frying yeah, pan. It's, you know, stainless steel it's or, or nonstick, right? What's the, I mean, some companies will come out with like ceramic. They'll come out with some Something other colorful. material. Yeah. Color. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's a pan consortium somewhere. That's just kind of like, you know, <laughs> conspiring to uh, brainstorming yeah but if i don't know i yeah it's a good example like how would they stay in business maybe pans are just not one of those things where not everybody has all clad pans right so there might still be a budget to do that yeah there might be still like a significant vision right (laughs) like as more people gain wealth right and as just like mm. more people, like people graduate, start have jobs, like they're going to have new customers that way. But people don't pass down their pots and pans, you know, like, oh, <laughs> grandma's well, pots and pans. Depends. <laughs> They'll pass down cast irons, right? Those, those are all, I always yeah, hear true. stories about those getting passed down. And, but yeah, the uh, cast iron pans, speaking of things that, you know, never break, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, good cast iron is good. Yeah. Even even if it like rusts out and everything, they usually can be salvaged. Yeah, yeah. Dude, speaking of cast irons, my cast iron pan is so nice now. First, I was I think I was just being really impatient before, and I was complaining about the surface and about how like I don't think it's like nice and like slick enough yet, nonstick enough. Now I put some eggs right over, you know, to fry the, some eggs. Those eggs are just slip sliding around like like there's no you know like they're on ice. <laughs> there's or not something. enough friction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> June, I need to get yeah, I need to get your uh, your technology behind this because mine is a is an absolute mess. I've actually thought about getting a new one because it's it's really really bad. Uh. And I've tried, <laughs> I've tried like you know taking the oil, really thin layer, super hot, etc. 
I've done. I've read. Yeah. Like how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. And I feel like I'm not you getting know, the results I'm expecting. You know, I think that was the thing is that I always thought like if I just did those enough in a like every month or whatever, you know, 450 degrees for an hour with some oil, right? Like it would be good. But no, I think the best thing that has helped it was cooking bacon in the mornings. I swear, like. I don't know how else to describe it, but when you're, you got like a flame, like I don't have gas indoors. And even if I did, I would cook bacon outside just because I don't want my house to smell like bacon. But you know, when it's gone a hot, (laughs) well, look, I know it's (laughs) my Carolina doesn't want the house to smell like bacon. (laughs) I also don't want the fire. The truth comes out. (laughs) No, I also don't like the odor, but, um, anyways, so yeah, it's just the fat. There's so much fat from the from the bacon that, and you're you, and it's over a high heat, right, or medium high, or whatever that you're cooking bacon over, and that thing is just going to build up a nice, you know, the fat when it's burning, right? Like it's building that layer of um, of the seasoning, which is like is is molecularly changed, like it's chemically bonded to the actual cast iron. And um, that's better than any kind of, like, manual seasoning you can do with the oven. Like, I think just through doing that over and over now. And I'm I'm one of those people who, like, I will clean my cast iron. You know what I mean? I don't just leave it out, like, collecting, you know, for the old stale yeah. food to get disgusting, right? Like, I'll clean it, and I'll even use soap, right? Like, sparingly. I'm not, not going to, like, I'll use a little bit of soap. I'm careful about not using anything that's actually scratchy, right? Like obviously like right, abrasive yeah abrasive so i have like you know these special little chain link things right it's a little square with a bunch of chains like chain loops it's mm. actually like made to clean things like cast irons because it's not they don't have any there's nothing sharp about them right it's not it's not like the even the back of a sponge i wouldn't want to use that often because that is like it's thin and it's or it's sharp and it can scratch the surface whereas these like loops mm-hmm. of chain mail basically it's like chain mail it's like a little square thing of chain mail it's not scratching anything there's not nothing sharp or thin you know like there's no edge yeah, send me to a link it. to that oh yeah we'll have to start doing um, some I bet cast if, iron maintenance here yeah if you just google it yeah but all that and th- those are great for just you know removing burnt chunks whatever without really damaging mm-hmm. the the seasoning the coating but then you know the most important thing is just drying it at the end making sure it's oh, dried yeah, off definitely. yeah but i don't know i i really feel like how you felt you know how you're feeling right now not that long ago because i was getting so tired of it i was like ugh, like it's not really getting anywhere but now yeah i cook something that's fatty <laughs> you know some people will say yeah you know don't don't cook things with a lot of acid, but I'm kind of at a point where I think I've had, I have like enough good coating that's like actually chemically bonded that if I use a little bit of acid, I don't think it'll, you know, kill it. I'll try it. Actually, there was one bit I wanted to go back to uh-huh. with uh, our good our good conversation about plant obsolescence. Oh, yeah, yeah. You were talking about how companies need to grow, grow, grow. That drives me nuts. I hate, I hate that this right. is how we are now as a capitalistic society. There's nothing... It's like completely unacceptable to have a lifestyle business and uh, just make a nice wage, maybe hire a few people. They make nice wages too. Everyone's happy. It's like, no, this thing has to be this huge conglomerate. We're going to buy more of that company. We're going to make a huge empire. And it's like, I guess it's all fine and good, but this consolidation of brands is kind of killing me. And, and, and just like this everlasting thirst for, for growth and to go public and this, that, and the other, it just feels ridiculous. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's the thing with business. It's like if you're not growing, then you're you're dead, right? Like there's no it's it's hard though. It's really hard. So like how do you not lose your culture in the process? Right. It's super interesting to me. Um and yeah. I don't know. I mean, I that's know. that I, is that is a big difference I think between publicly traded companies with shareholders that expect returns, right? That expect dividends and returns like mm-hmm. and the only way you're going to get those is by making the product worth more and the thing has to sell more stuff and blah blah blah. I've been having some guys come to my house to give estimates for some work around the house before we list and a bunch of these guys are just like their own business, right? They have a little small business. They they have no pressure to have more sales and orders year after year, right? Like, no, they're just going to like do what they need to, to maintain like a sustainable income for the family, for whatever. Right. Yeah. And I think for instance, my business, let's say for some reason, like my podcasting business blows up and I start selling ads and like basically become a little network, right? Little network is the key. I probably not want to expand it too much. And that's partially just because Amp Creative Studios. Now, I don't have my logo yet, but I think you'll, when it ends up coming out, it probably will have some sort of signature, essentially. Like, my initial signature, how I, how I sign my initials, and we'll see. We'll see how it comes out. I'm actually pretty excited talking about it next week um, with the guy. But it kind of goes, goes back to that Apple quote, like, this is our signature, and it means everything. That was like a quote, I think, from the thousand no's for every yes video maybe or something I, I forget which video it was from but at the end it said uh this is our signature and it means everything that really like stuck with me because it comes back to whenever i do something and i put like my name on it so to speak i'm very hesitant to put my name on something that i didn't like give my full attention to and and really put my care into it because like I, I i value like i guess what that's supposed to mean so amp creative studios is supposed to be like a level of content creation not saying that our content's great right but like from an editing perspective i'm trying to make it you know edit it really nicely and 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 try to have that high quality something i'm proud of when i release it so i don't know it's just something i think about and i'm very very cautious of i would not want to grow too much so that i lose that Mm -hmm. and i would not be interested in like erecting a school for people to think like i do and like make sure that they're producing quality like content like i would and like I don't know. I think that by definition, by definition of this business, for instance, has to have my, my touch or then what am I actually doing? Cause I feel like that is the whole business. Hmm. Maybe I'll have to get over myself and just realize oh, oh. I need to be bigger now. <laughs> well, I mean, and part of that too is competition, right? Like if you have now all of a sudden people are like, Oh, Alex doing this thing. And now they're like, I can do this thing. I had a podcast. And now all of a sudden you've got 10 people popping up in your close circles, not too far removed from you, and they all want to do the same thing, how are you going to beat them out, right? How are you going to make your business still more sustainable? And and you kind of naturally, like, I think that's part of the whole drive for more sales to make your company bigger, to expand, right? At least you have to gain more market share, right? You have to gain... Or maintain my market share, at least. Or maintain it, Like, yeah. let's say I'm already yeah. where I right. want to be, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's... Yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's Gotta stay competitive. It's the business side of, like, the economy that, like, yeah, there are things that we may not like, but it's just kind of how, I don't know, there are certain laws and rules of, of you know, business that... <laughs> yeah. 
Maybe get an MBA one day. I don't know. Learn about this stuff more. <laughs> That's why I'm going to release notes, man. That's why I'm going to release notes. Hey guys, this is June. Just want to let you guys know that we really enjoy making these episodes and making this podcast, but we also want to know how we can improve and get better and actually give the kind of podcast that you guys want to listen to. So we'd like to ask for feedback. And if you guys have suggestions, ideas, or just, you know, things you want us to do more of, things you want us to do less of, let us know. Uh, please email us at feedback at overanalyzed.fm. We're open to anything. And even if you want to maybe be a guest, we're considering, you know, doing guests, bringing guests onto the show and things like that. So yeah, again, that's feedback at overanalyzed.fm. And yeah, appreciate it, guys. Take care.